Dracula. I am Dracula. And I bid you welcome, Mr. Hart, to my heart. Come Our first award goes to the vampires for most blood drained in a single evening. The strength of the vampire is that people will not believe in him. The sun is going down, and you know what that means. It's time for me to record another episode of my podcast, The Beautiful Dead. As always, I'm your host, Lena Nazari. Quickest way to find me is to go to lenanazari.com. You'll find links to all of my social media, ways to contact me. You can join my street team. You can join my fanged family. Lots of stuff to do on the website. Another thing you can do on there is find out where I'm going to be and when. So in June, I'll be in Philadelphia. In August, I will be in um, here in Pittsburgh. Um, right now, the next one is going to be January of 2024 in New Orleans. But I promise you there is stuff coming between August and January. It's just not finalized. Uh, the third book is well, it's on, on its way. The second I know when it's going to be out, the Fanged family and the street team will find out. And then you will see on social media if you don't want to join those two things. It is the first episode of April. So you know what that means. It's tarot time. So if you remember in March, I got the chariot and the chariot tells you like something big is coming. Something is coming into your life. I, I, when I first pulled this, I thought, well, it can't be the book because the book kind of happened. Like we set that all up and signed everything um, in the end of February. But I, I think it may be because it was moving. It's moving a lot faster than I thought it would. Um, but I also know that this wonderful vampire tea showed up to me and you know how much I love vampire tea. So that collaboration is huge for me. I'm so excited and I promise you we're going to get to what I'm drinking tonight, but let's finish the tarot part. So March, very good month for Lena. I'm very happy. You know, I love the chariot card, but it is now going to go back into the deck uh, and we are going to pull April. Okay. So I do this live, you know, so you're about to hear all the cards. Those on the podcast, I apologize, but at least you know I'm doing it live. And I'm just thinking about April. What's coming to me in April? What do I need to focus on? What is the universe trying to tell me about April? Um, let's see. One more. Okay. April of 2023. All right, here we go. I'm going to cut the deck. April. The Knight of Pentacles. And no, I don't have these all memorized. I do have a little cheat sheet. Efficiency, practicality, reliability, routine, hardworking, and committed. I, initially, my first thought is I have gotten into such a great routine with 
uh, getting to the gym, getting my work done, even picking up extra at the hospital, getting the podcast recorded, the YouTube video, getting everything edited, getting the TikToks done, working on the book. I have developed this like pretty great routine, even um, planning my meals. I've been planning my meals days ahead so I know what to buy, what to thaw, um, what I need to cook. I, I have to I, it, I even have to calculate like how many calories do I need each day depending on what activity I'm doing. So I think the Knight of, of Pentacles is telling me to keep up with that. Keep that, you know, keep that foot on the gas. Keep keep up with your routine. Keep up with that productivity and the efficiency and just keep going. So that's how I take it. Now, if you have a different idea, if something else came to you when I pulled the Knight of Pentacles, please let me know. I'm open to interpretation. Anytime I pull these cards, I always do like a little thought about it later when I'm done recording, really meditate on it. Uh, and if something else comes to me, I will certainly let you know. But April 2023 for Lena, the Knight of Pentacles. Okay, I will take it. All right. What am I drinking tonight? I will tell you. Tonight, I'm going with Nosferatu, Nosferati, Nosferati, great pun. I love it. Um, and this one is, this one is caffeinated because I want the caffeine. And this is um, cherry, almond, and mango in a black tea. Ooh, I'm excited. It's cooling off right now in my um, Code Blood mug. So as soon as, oh, it smells so good. Ooh, ooh, that's really good. It kind of reminds me of like, um, it makes me think of like when you're out on a hike outdoors and you have trail mix. It's what it makes me think of. It makes me think of like hiking outdoors. Ooh, I really like it. Okay. What are we talking about? We're talking about Corbin Nash, which I uh, stumbled across. I don't remember how. I, I'm sorry. I don't. But I did watch it on Amazon Prime. We're going to get to my thoughts. But um, this one's not going to be a long one. I can tell you that right now. This will be a good, quick podcast episode for you guys. Uh, first and foremost, because normally there's a summary. And if I can't find one, then I will write a synopsis myself. However, I did not do it with this one because even I was baffle. I don't know how to put it into words, honestly. And there's really not that much you need to know. And we will talk about this in my thoughts, but why don't we jump in? For those of you new to the podcast, uh, spoiler alert, I, I ruin everything. Um, that being said, I don't think it's possible to ruin this movie. There's nothing to ruin. That's all I'm going to say about that. Corbin Nash, a New York police officer and boxer, learns from a mysterious stranger that his parents were demon hunters who were slain by vampires. Investigating the lead in Los Angeles, Nash is captured and forced to engage in brutal fights run by demons. After defeating the other competitors, Nash is turned into a vampire and dumped in the streets. He is found by a stripper named Macy who helps him recover and continues his investigation. Aided by a blind street prophet, Nash discovers that a pair of sadistic vampires named Queenie and Vince 
are behind his parents' death and the city's problems. After confronting and killing them, Nash accepts his destiny to fight evil. Quick, right? That's about as needy as the plot is. And there's even a few things in there that I did not know from watching the movie. So, yeah, not a lot to bite into in this movie. Let's just do this. I've committed at this point. There's no getting out of it. We might as well just finish it. Vampiric crossovers. There actually are a number, a number. So let's do this. Rutger Hauer has a very quick role in this. And he also plays Kurt Barlow in the 2004 Salem's Lot, the miniseries. And he plays Dracula in Dracula 2 Ascension and Dracula 3 Legacy. He also played Van Helsing in Dario Argento's Dracula 3D and Neil in True Blood. Malcolm McDowell plays the blind prophet in this. He voices several characters in Castlevania, the animated series. Uh, he was also Eddie Van Helsing in Suck, which you guys will know because I did that one. And then Bruce Davison also has a brief role in this and is also in the TV series of The Hunger. And last but not least, Corey Feldman plays Queenie in this. He was in Bordello of Blood. And of course, we all know he was Edgar Frog in uh, Lost Boys, Lost Boys the Tribe, and Lost Boys the Thirst. A little bit of trivia. Interesting to find out that Corey Feldman stayed in character the whole time they shot, even asking the other cast members to call him Queenie. Okay. I, I don't judge people who like to do method acting. That's fine. I myself uh, have never done it. I don't, I can't think of a reason why I would do it unless perhaps you've gotten a hold of a very hard accent and you just want to hold on to it. I don't know. I don't judge other actors. You know, you do what you want to do. Let's break it down. So relationship to humans. This one's actually kind of interesting. So vampires relatively unknown to humans. Um, the thing that starts the investigation is that there is a lot of missing persons in Los Angeles. There seems to be no rhyme or reason, different ages, different sexes. They all just go missing without a trace. And then you come to find out that the vampires are snatching humans, locking them up in like a dungeon making them fight each other. And if you lose, you're killed by the vampires and used for food. If you win, then you get to live to fight another fight. So you just keep going until eventually um, you lose or the vampires just get bored with you. Uh, they do take children. That also happened. The women, we don't see the women fighting, but there is a woman who's captured and she's like, uh, trust me, if your wife is still here, she wishes she were dead or something. And she says, like, they use us as playthings. So I can only assume they use the women for pleasure and the men for entertainment. That's what I'm going to take from that. So interesting relationship to humans. Appearance. You're not going to know that a vampire is in front of you until they vamp out. And when they do, the eyes become bright. We see red. We see, like, a pale blue, almost white and then we see like a yellowish color and they sort of glow a little bit. And then, of course, the fangs. The fangs, two sharp canines that descend whenever they are needed. So I do approve of that. I even like the bright eye thing, too. I do like that. Blood. Lots of blood. 
the vampires do drink blood and we even see them at one point drinking it out of wine glasses which i approve that's i respect that that's classy they are never seen eating food or drinking liquor and they are never seen in the sunlight so they have to stay out of the sunlight we never see where they sleep so i don't know if it's in coffins or they're just like in a bed in a windowless room the holy items are also never addressed, nor is a heartbeat or breathing. So we don't know a lot about these vampires, except that they're brutal and they have fangs. That's pretty much it. Rules. They do not have to be invited in. We do see them break into somebody's apartment. Um, they kill men, women, and children. So clearly there's no like, hey, kids are off limits rule. Um, we never see anything about reflections. We never see anything about running water, nothing like that. So apparently these are ruleless vampires. Powers. It is mentioned how strong they are and we know that they're fast and we know that they don't age. So we can assume they are immortal. Uh, that's again, all we know. So for a vampire movie, there's not too much about the vampires, but we're going to talk about that. How are they made? So we see Corbin attacked by many vampires. I'm talking a dozen. A dozen come at him and all bite into him. He's screaming. Um, and then he's found on the street. They think he's dead. He's saved by this girl, Macy. She takes him home, follows the advice of the blind prophet who says like, time to the bed trust me and while he's tied to the bed he's like struggling and clearly in pain and agony and uncomfortable you see his veins popping out over the next few hours they become darkened um and then once he drinks blood from the girl he turns so here's my assumption as the vampire expert the vampire um the it's a it's a virus that is spread through the bite and if you're not killed then the virus spreads and then once you drink human blood the turn is complete that's that's what we're gonna go with because that's what i saw uh how do they die classic stake to the heart um, once they're staked, they sort of desiccate and almost like become like a mummified. Now, when Queenie thinks Corbin is dead, she says like, we should burn him to be sure. So maybe torching a vampire works too. I don't know because we never see it. We also never see beheading. The only thing we see is stake to the heart. Tropes I love and tropes I hate. Okay. I do love the trope of the, um, the intended vampire victim being left for dead, turning, and then going after the vampires that did this to him with these new vampiric abilities. It does have to be done right, okay? Blade was a perfect version of this. This one, not so much, but I do like that trope. I do love the whole like revenge on the people who did it to you, but you're like going after your own kind. I do enjoy that trope. Um, tropes I hate. I hate the farming humans trope. We see this all the time where vampires like lock up humans and use them like juice boxes. We see this all the time. The idea of like warehouses full of trapped humans not a big fan of that trope. To me, it's like, it's just lazy. 
it's also very high risk vampires. That is high risk. You know, if you're killing, that's high risk enough. But to like hold on to an alive, a number of alive humans, at if any one of them escapes or they all join forces against you, high risk. And where are you hiding all these, these humans? Like a warehouse, a storage unit? I mean, how do you explain all that? Just don't do it, okay? Ratings. I told you we're going to breeze right through this one. There's, there's just not a lot to talk about. All right, ratings. How scary or evil are the vampires of Corbin Nash? I don't mean to smirk. I'm, I'm trying to take this seriously. These vampires aren't necessarily more scary than the usual vamp. I mean, they're fast, they're strong, which we are used to. But they are more evil, okay? They lock up humans. They use them like a tap, you know, like they're tapping a keg. They assault women nightly. They snatch kids. They don't care about uh, who they kill or how many bodies they leave in their wake. They make men fight each other to survive. They kill a son right in front of the father. They um, are bad news. Even Corbin, who's supposed to be the good one, is obviously full of rage and murderous intent. Uh, they are, however, bound by the sun. And the blind prophet proves that some of them will help humans kill their own kind. That being said, 7 out of 10 stakes to the heart for scariness or evil. I mean, these are bad vampires. Um... Oh yeah, I didn't talk about, are they good or are they bad? Oh, shame on me. Um, every vampire in this is bad. I know you guys are probably cringing because I'm going out of order and I apologize, but we have to go back. The only ones that aren't bad are Corbin. And then at the end, you find out that the blind prophet is a vampire himself and he's been helping people fight the vampires. So clearly you can choose if you're going to be good or bad. 99% of them choose to be bad, but Corbin is either some kind of special vampire or the rest of them are just dicks. I don't know. Sorry, out of order. Back to the ratings. How sexy or alluring are the vampires of Corbin Nash? Honorary vamp point awarded, begrudgingly awarded, but awarded nonetheless. And another point because they obviously enjoy sex. We do see several interactions in this film with Queenie to show that she does enjoy um, the physical pleasures. But that is it. 2 out of 10 onks for sexiness and allure. They lose points because they will murder you at the end of the rendezvous. They clearly are not givers in the sack. And humans are definitely not drawn to them. A lot of times they're hooking up because they're paying the person to do it. Now, Corbin might be sexier, but we don't see that in him. All we see in him is straight revenge. That's all he cares about. Nothing else. So he has the possibility of being sexier than a 2 out of 10, but we never see that. My thoughts. If I haven't made it abundantly clear, I try and hold back until the end. I really do. I try to be... Um, I try to be objective in these, but sometimes I just can't. I can't. 
I gave this movie a chance, okay? I gave it a real chance. I wanted to go into it with an open mind, but I didn't really have high hopes. You keep thinking it's going to get better, but it just doesn't. The acting is bad, the writing is bad, the story is bad. There is absolutely no reason for the number of boobs that we see. The assault and um, oral scenes, completely unnecessary. The amount of times they just tie a girl up and rip her dress off to show her full frontal naked for no reason at all is absurd. I cannot, for the life of me, comprehend what Corey Feldman was trying to do with the character, Queenie. I understand it's a transgender character and that's fine, but I don't completely understand the total depravity. I don't understand the constant demanding that everyone tell her how beautiful she is. It's clear that she and her partner are lovers and have been, uh, they say, for half a century, but the backstory is so confusing and it really adds nothing to the overall story at all. The writing is all over the place, okay? It feels like a longer movie that somebody went and just randomly cut scenes out of that chopped it up and then stuck it all back together and like really important stuff was left out. It's impossible to know what the whole point is. You have to make a lot of assumptions. I get the feeling that this was meant to be um, exposition and pretty much just like an origin story for Corbin, but a lot of it is lost in all of this. And I'm assuming that they plan on having a sequel because there's a character when Corbin's boxing that's speaking from the shadows. And we assume that's Drake. And Drake is the one that he was um, ultimately trying to track down. But then Drake never really gets talked about much at all anymore. Um, also, it's mentioned that Corbin's parents were hunters and killed by vamps. But again, it's never touched upon again. And they call them demon hunters. And they say like the humans are, so, are, are supposed to fight each other for the demon's amusements. But I'm like, okay, so are the vampires demons or are there demons and vampires? Or are they just calling the vampires demons? I don't know. I'm so confused. Um, we never learn any more about that. So I, I don't know what to tell you. At an hour and 34 minutes, this movie was already too long. It felt unending. I mean, I, I've seen worse, okay? But I never want to watch this movie again, ever. The movie was made in 2018. If you search this in IMDb, a Corbin Nash 2 does pop up. But the only thing you know is that the guy who plays Corbin is back and we have no idea what the production status is. So I don't know if it's going to happen. I don't know if COVID stopped it and it is going to be in the works or if it's just never going to happen. But crazier things have happened. So we're going to do it. It's my favorite thing. This is the way that I like to um, deal with the trauma of having watched a really, really bad movie. I like to get some laughs out of it. So we are going to go ahead and look at my favorite IMDb review titles. Let's do it. So, Blade Ripoff. That's just down to the point. That's exactly what it is. It's a Blade Ripoff done so much worse. Um, I tried, even though you won't believe me, I really tried. 
that's a, that's a good one. That's how I felt about this. I, I never would have finished this movie if it were not for this podcast. So bad that it went past bad and came back to bad again. All right. This one just says, well, you were warned. <laughs> so awful, it's hard to stop watching. That is true. There is definitely a sick part of us that for whatever reason just loves to watch a really bad movie, but sometimes they're so bad that they're good. This one is just bad. Um, this one is called, This Movie Made Me Sad and Sick to My Stomach. Oh, yeah, that's true. You have a physical reaction to how bad this one is. This is fabulous. This review is titled, A Weak Story to Show Freaks and Boobs. A thousand percent. A thousand percent. There is no reason at all. If they cut out all the unnecessary boobs and sex scenes, this movie would be roughly 30 minutes, which is why the synopsis was so quick. And my favorite IMDb review title, basically Blade, if you ordered it on wish.com. Amazing. That is amazing. If anybody who ever wrote one of these reviews watches this, please comment down below because these are genius titles. Just genius. They make me laugh. So when I'm traumatized by a really terrible movie, I always go over to IMDb, look at some review titles and have a nice laugh. And that is it for Corbin Nash. I never want to talk about this movie again. I never want to see it. I don't want to see posters. I don't want to hear the name Corbin. It was so bad. Next week was originally going to be Shadow of a Vampire. However, it is not available for streaming anywhere. If you want to buy it on DVD, it's roughly $40. So I went around to all of my local used DVD places and actually found somebody who's going to track it down for me for $15. But it means that we are going to have to wait. We're going to have to push that one off to later. When I get my DVD, I can watch it on, yes, I still have a DVD player, so I will watch it and review it in the future. However, we're gonna have to replace it, and I replaced it with something I am so excited to talk to you about. I am excited to rewatch it, and I'm excited to talk about it, and that is Kindred the Embraced. Oh, I have chills just talking about it, okay. That is it for this. We are going to go ahead and wrap it up, wrap up our recording so I can get my editing done. Uh, please watch my social media or my emails if you're on my email list for updates on the book. And I am hoping that you guys are having a lovely spring. And I wish you wicked hugs and bloody kisses. Good evening. <laughs>